Yo, what's up guys? I'm excited to be bringing on Ben Fisher today. He is the founder of the Lighthouse app, which is a social networking app that's actually been backed by the founder of Lyft with more than 20,000 connections made on it so far. He's also a student at Stanford University School of Design. and He's had quite the journey, so I hope you guys enjoy. All right, so I guess I just want to start off with like where where you were before you got into Stanford um, and, and how you got in there and all the things that you sacrificed to get into a school like that. Sure. Um, so my background is relatively non-traditional. Um, I sound American. Generally, I'm never confused to be anything but, um, though I never lived there till college. Um, I was born in Israel um, and then grew up in Hong Kong. So even further away, um, I spent 13 years there. And then in the middle of high school, came back to Israel, um, went to school here, um, finished up and, and went to Stanford. Um, I guess kind of breaking that down a little bit, um, you know, all throughout my childhood in Hong Kong, um, I think that like the, the thread that ties it all together, if, if you're asking, we're thinking about the context of a Stanford application or kind of a journey towards Stanford. Um, for me, that was all rooted in writing. Um, basically I had no friends and we had a family desktop in our living room and I just spent a lot of my afternoons writing. Okay. That, um, yeah. So, so that's kind of like where it all started. Um, when I was in like fifth through seventh grade, um, I just basically wrote a book nonstop. Um, that ended up getting published when I was in eighth grade, 2014. Um, I don't know if saying eighth grade makes it feel further away than 2014. I think it does. Um, but yeah, so, um, that was kind of maybe an initial thing that started this, um, started this journey of mine in middle and high school. Um, I kind of off of creative writing became interested in film. That was a lot of what I worked on, um, throughout early and middle of high school. Um, I got to work on. Uh, a super cool feature film um, and wrote a couple screenplays and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that was kind of maybe a, one major through line. Um, uh, I don't know how, how, I mean, I can dig more deeply into that or kind of branch off into some other bullet points. No, I'm just curious. So like you, you spent 13 years in Hong Kong. So how many, do you know Mandarin? I should is the answer. Okay. <laughs> I, I studied it every year I was there. Um, it's difficult. Like not only is it, a really tough language and not only was i learning it um at a, a very small very new school uh, my graduating class there was 10 kids um oh wow but uh it's also tough because the the city doesn't speak mandarin um you study in school but cantonese is a spoken language on the street and so what it ended up being for me was that i was studying one language in the classroom and never hearing it anywhere else and on the other hand, learning a sister language on the street and never learning it formally. And so that kind of left me um, somewhat crippled in that sense between both languages, where by the time I left, I was kind of conversational in both. But um, it's been six or so years now. And I think pretty unfortunately, it's all it's all faded away. Wait, so is English your first language or is it second or like when when did you learn it? Um, so I learned it alongside Hebrew um, from birth, okay. basically. OK, that makes sense. Yeah. So, okay. So you started writing and eventually got into like the screenplay. So how did that kind of transpire? Like, how did you get into that? Because uh, I mean, obviously writing a book is one thing and then you go from that to a whole screenplay. So what was the, the journey into that? Sure. Um, I actually have a very specific journey. Uh, and the visual item to tell that it's not here, though, of course, it doesn't matter for this format. Um, 
but I okay. So the story is, um, you ever read the Aragon series? I don't think I have. No. Anyways, you know, pretty popular fantasy series. Um, like you know, in in our in our cohort, you know, yeah. like kids our age. Um, I loved it as a kid. Um, like I remember the the final book um coming out, and it was like you know, me and me and me and my other nerd friends were were all freaking out over it. Um. And I finally finished a series. It was like kind of a three book series. I got extended to four. Um, and I, you know, read the blurb of the author, um, like as one does. And it says he lives near Livingston, Montana. Turns out that's the town of like 7,000 that my grandparents live in. Oh, wow. <laughs> that like, I freaked out, right? Um, understandably. And so yeah. I must have been 13 or something. Um and I, uh, like, called my grandfather one day, and I'm like, hi, Pops, you know, um, have you ever heard of this guy, Christopher Paolini, and can I meet him? And he said, no, but I can find out. Um, flash forward to the next summer when I went to visit him um, and went to the public library and had a little, like, legal pad full of questions I wanted to ask my favorite author and sat down and, like, we talked for two hours and basically became super close family friends um from then on um he became kind of pretty pretty quickly a a a mentor of mine um and in those early days he gave me a book which he recommended to me in the context of creative writing and storytelling um that book is called story by robert mckee um what i didn't know then is that it's kind of like one of the the foundational screenwriting books um but to me then it was just a cool recommendation by somebody i really admired um and it was i mean it's it's a book about craft but it it got me super interested um, in in the world of storytelling through film as well. And I think that's like, that's my go-to story, at least for the entry point into that. That's that's definitely one way to do it. That's crazy. Did you, so did he, he was the writer of that screenplay that you did? Um, oh, no. So that is kind of its own separate story. The The film that I worked on um, was was outside that context. It was kind of just part of my path of being interested he in just, film. He wrote the books, right? Yeah. So he, he wrote, he wrote the Aragon series. Um, and yeah. so... Yeah, no, no connection kind of to the rest of the film interested part of me um, beyond kind of getting me into it vis-a-vis that book. Okay, so he was he just basically became the mentor that kind of got you into the that world a little bit more and taught you. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So you went from that. So you're you're very creative, I can tell. And so you went so you go from that to then um, after that you started. It was did you go into school like pretty much soon after that before you started Lighthouse or was that um something that did i mix the timeline up um so i started lighthouse after my freshman year of college um okay just when when covid shut things down okay so how did you go from screenplays to starting a company that's that's the transition that i want to try to get into totally because that's obviously like i said you seem very creative so i can kind of see where that would transition but it's definitely a big jump to go from one to the other so i'm just curious at, at how you did that yeah um Okay, yeah. So it's funny. I mean, it's funny that we're talking about this now. Um, by sheer coincidence, this morning, I visited my old high school here for the first time in a couple of years. Um, and it was also my first time seeing them since Lighthouse, since studying product design, um, and all my teachers, you know, like, for them, it's as much of a left field as it was for me, because they knew me as the kid who was into English and film and <laughs> photography, yeah. and like, there's no connection. Um, and so... Anyway, so I feel like I'm now better versed in answering that question after a couple hours of justifying myself this morning. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it is as left field as it sounds to go from to go from film and writing and, and kind of pure creativity into call it entrepreneurship, call it design, um, call it, you know, the right side of our brains. Um, so that kind of started um, in many ways, less because of um, anything that happened before Lighthouse and kind of more because of Lighthouse itself. What I mean by that is I came to Stanford um, fully interested in studying linguistics. Um, it was like kind of the, the part of me that I was interested in academically in high school. Um, and it was also like the part of me that felt like I could apply the creative writing and English interests of mine. Um, and then study film aside, do, you know, minor in film or use linguistics as a platform to then get an M MFA in film after, after undergrad or, or anything like that. Um, my freshman year, I did a program at Stanford called SLE, uh, Structured Liberal Education, which is basically um, kind of a, a first year um, humanities kind of core where you live uh, and, and learn with, with a single cohort. Um, it's about half your classes and it's kind of just covering the Western canon over, over 10-ish months. Um, you like do a different book every week and it kind of gave me a really deep dive into a world that I, you know, that, that I really do love of, of, of important, you know, of, of great books and philosophy. Um, it also kind of was a tasting menu for that kind of stuff in a way that, that scratched that itch for college in some ways. I didn't finish it like, I finished it enthusiastic and appreciative of it but in some ways burn out from it. Um, and I think like I was already primed to be using a different part of my brain. Yeah. Evolving a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, come, come March, 2020. Um, and so the, the lead up from that to lighthouse, um, is as follows on, I think it was March 6, uh, Stanford shut down, said, you know, thanks for your time and <laughs> sent everyone home. Um, one of the first schools in the country to do so. I uh, immediately went to my, my grandparents um, in Montana. It was the closest place and my nearest family in the U.S. And so it made sense. Um, I get there and it's actually when I land, um, like as soon as I turn my Wi-Fi back on, that I get the email from school saying, also, this isn't just an extended spring break. You're not coming back. Um, I had left laundry on the floor of my room. Like literally, I hadn't like washed my tea cup. Um, it was, it was really up and gone. Um, and so I went to my grandparents and, um, it was, you know, it was the first week of everything. Um, and my dad calls me and he says, you're, you know, grieving the loss of your freshman year. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, Seattle schools just shut down At the time. That was a big deal, right? Schools weren't, you know, this was, this was the first district in the country to shut down. Yep. And so he's like, it's shut down. You should tutor. Um, like, fill up your time with students that need need that time filled. Um, so I said, okay, but I don't know anything about Washington State. So I called a friend of mine who lives there. Um, and six hours later, at the end of the call, we were registered as an LLC. <laughs> to, <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um, to basically get in that call, I think we realized a problem, um, which you know, I think like is a, is a through line in some of the things I've been interested about since the pandemic started, um, which is that this sudden shift to online meant, meant that two sides of a coin were forming. On the one hand, there were students all over the country that had no class, had no resources, and in many ways had no accessibility to get those resources back. Um, no access to those, to those resources again, right? The education gap deepened overnight. Um, and that was something that was 
like scary for all of us. We're feeling it now, right? There was that article just last week about the math and science gaps that the pandemic has caused. Um, and on the flip side of that, there were lots of college students that just lost their jobs, right? On campus, on campus jobs that were really important for people. And overnight you're sent home thinking you're away for a break only to know that you're not coming back. Um, and so we started this tutoring network called Tree Tutors, um, whose aim was to basically get Stanford students hired by us to then teach low-income students. Um, and we kind of had like a, a sort of unique business model where we'd get uh, paying private students to basically cover the cost of us still paying Stanford students while having low-income students not uh, like, you know, attend one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one, um, tutoring for free. And so we kind of started that literally, it was like March 7th um, or whatever it was. And that was an experience unto its own. Um, within like two weeks or something, we had something like 150 tutors. Um, and it was kind of like a real moment of explosive growth and, and you know, like tons of stories from there. Um, and, you know, like that was also, it was full time for a moment, but again, it kind of all started out of this frustration like this, this kind of clear education gap, and it was kind of never really, um, never really thought of it as like for-profit business or startup, more, more an initiative that I felt like was extremely necessary in the moment that it was needed most. So, how did you like get the one hundred and fifty to two hundred people or students like to start? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, um, honestly, considering like if we place ourselves back in that moment, right, like when everyone has no idea what's going on and there's just so much whiplash from um, from shutdowns around the country. It meant that literally as simple as making a Google form and making it go through the email rounds around Stanford meant that we just suddenly had a ton of signups of people being like, I have nothing to do for the next two weeks. I thought I was going to have finals. Um, might as well make some cash. Um, and so that's basically how we did it. I think people were kind of immediately interested. Um, since then, we've seen that like in that industry, right, like that's been a long term, um, a long term need that we kind of identified the moment it started and then in many ways decided not to capitalize on in the way that other businesses since have. Um, but a lot of students were really eager for remote first work when remote first was first becoming a thing. So how did you get in contact? Like, how did so you made it go through the email rounds through Stanford? But how did you like, how did you get into that in the first place? Like, who, who did you get connected with? Or like, how do you do that? Totally. So um, Stanford, for better or for worse, has so much of, uh, like, it just operates so much on email chains. Um, and different kind of email groups. Basically, the way that it works for us is that, you know, you're a, a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed frosh who shows up to the activities fair in the second week of school, and you're like, wow, look at all these clubs. Let me just put my name down for 90 of them, and then elect to do two. Um, I, yeah. I assume it's probably the same at Irvine, right? Yeah, pretty similar. And so, and the end result of that is that you're on 90 email lists to which you get one email every single day from every single one of them, um, right? <laughs> it's just the endless clutter of college student inboxes. Um, and so what that means at the same time is that if you, and this is what we did, make a little Google spreadsheet of all the different email groups that you know of, um, and if you know anybody who's already part of them, or if you're part of them yourself, and you have the same email, and you send it around to the right people, and you're in. Okay, that's smart. I like that. Yeah, so so that's what we did uh, back then to get to get into people's emails, and I think we did some group meet pubs or whatever else, but it was literally the same same Google, like Google form that we turned into Google Sheet, that we turned into, I remember in this room, um, like three literal sleepless nights because of time zone difference um, of interviewing like 10 minute interviews back to 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 back. 
That's crazy. I've never heard of something blowing up like that. So you you had the idea one day, like the day after the problem like started to occur, you made it happen, and then you already had like 150 to 200 people within the next couple of days, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So okay, so you go from that. And that's like the bridge between your writing and also lighthouse. So how does that transition to lighthouse? Yeah. Um. So I think that what 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 Tree Tutors gave me, and I think a very a very material sense was, uh, experience and confidence to just up and start something. Right. Um. I think that like I I feel really familiar with the feeling of like, hey, I have this idea and I want to do something, but like how do I even start? And I think that that moment with Tree Tutor has kind of made me realize, firstly, especially through COVID, we all, we all have kind of so much more opportunity than we, we might realize um, to just start start where we can, you know? So was there no fear? Like, was there no fear when you started Tree Tutors? There was no fear. Um, there was fear in choosing a name. But aside from that... <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, look, it was like, lit, like, I, I, it sounds hyperbolic, yeah. but literally the same call that I said, hey, do you have any friends that need tutoring uh, ended with 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 us being registered in Delaware. That's crazy. Yeah, I still can't get over that. But yeah, no, that's I, you never really hear about that because a lot of the time when people are starting something, they're thinking about like what could go right, but also what could go wrong. And you just like you figured out the problem and just like went at it. So did you take that? It sounds like you took the same approach to Lighthouse, right? I'll let you kind of continue that story. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, it all depends, right? Like, it's not necessarily worth it or maybe even good to always like to blanket every idea as like instantly bootstrappable, you know, something yeah. like Tree Tutors was easy because at the like, at its core, you know, website and, and platform aside, like the way that it could start was through, uh, you know, through a Slack channel, right? Um, and so like that kind of made it very easy to have the confidence. Lighthouse is a different story altogether. Um, I didn't have coding experience. So I, I'll get to the, I'll get to like where the idea came from, but I couldn't just sit down and like, Hey, I want to code an app, you know, um, let's just do it. And so the transition from two tutors to lighthouse, um, is kind of as follows as teachers very, you know, very quickly became popular. And as we brought on team members to kind of run business development and finances, um, it was also kind of never, n never going to be like a full-time thing. It was a passion for everybody on the team. Um, it was something that we felt like that was important and meaningful. Um, and there's a world in which I pursued it more seriously and for longer. Um, but it was kind of like always going to be a thing that like I was a passion project. Um, at the same time, I was also a student trying to finish their spring quarter. Um, well, I really at the time start their spring quarter. Um, in, in the room I'm in right now, in my parents' basement on the other side of the world. Um, and, you know, it was tough for all of us. It was a really tough moment in time. Um, I would start class at 6 p.m. and at 6 a.m. never see the sun. <laughs> what? Like literally yeah, never see the sun. Look, and I had no other option, right? Like it wasn't a thing back then to do a get like a, to take time off for COVID yeah. because it wasn't like, I was planning on coming yeah. back in September. Of course, we, we were all planning to be back in September, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I was doing, there was quarantine here and it was, it was in quarantine that um, I was kind of mourning my freshman year um, in the way that we all were, you know, to ourselves. Um, you know, I, I moved around a lot as a kid and I was really used to, you know, maintaining friendships over distances. Um, a fun aside is that, uh, I did a speech contest when I was in 10th grade 
And it was kind of all about, it was like literally pitching Lighthouse in a way that I really had no idea. Um, it was about like how goodbyes can be impermanent and like tech can, you know, we're only a button away, but that can feel, you know, like so much bigger than that. And so like, how do we bridge the gap between, you know, the fear of calling somebody and actually being on the phone with them? Wow. <laughs> I, and I really only realized that like something like six months in. Um, but yeah, so so I, I was sitting there frustrated about exactly that, right? That, um, And I think more acutely, or maybe to, to provide it an image, uh, I missed being able to leave my dorm room door open, you know? Yeah, that's a big thing. Right? It's like, that's a core part of the college social experience. And it's also like one of the things that, First of all, I never experienced before college and never experienced losing until we all lost it, right? Um, it was also something that hasn't, isn't replaceable easily online, right? Like, that's just part of the college experience that when COVID shut down and we went online, we lost. Um, and when I was kind of in that moment of grief about, about all of this, right? And, and, and all the kind of personal struggles we, we went through in that early time, um, that's kind of one of the things that that I felt I felt strongest about that that like or or that 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 hurt the most you know like so, socially in terms of in terms of um like dealing with all that I know I know I kind of said yeah. that abstractly so anyways um I really wanted to have my dorm room door open that's that's really it um and it's not a long line from that to how you know to to what Lighthouse does, what I want Lighthouse to do for people. Um, and so kind of literally those first couple of weeks of quarantine, I complained to my dad um, and told him that. I'm like, what do I do about this? Like, I want to leave my dorm room door open. And like, I'm in this terrible time zone, like texting, going around, like walking around the block and like, just because I need to get some air and texting 20 friends when I leave, like, hey, are you free? Give me a call. Because I know if I text 20 friends, maybe one will text me by the time I get home. And even then, they're probably just going to text me, how about Thursday at 3? And I'm like, well, Thursday at 3 is my 2 a.m. <laughs> so, like, that's not going to work. And then I end up, yeah. like, getting either 20 missed calls or zero missed calls. And it just ends up being a complete mess. But I'm going to try because I want to talk to my friends. Um, and so, look, it was exhausting then. I feel like it's exhausting now. And we all go through that. You know, like, the the phone tag, I think, is the is the appropriate expression for it. And so... You know, we experience phone tag every day then. I experience it every day now. Um, and I wanted a way to fix that. So at first, I didn't know if that was a startup or a business. I may have had that confidence from tree tutors, but I also didn't have the development mind side of me kind of translate uh, frustration into a product. Um, and so, you know, initially I was like, maybe it's a Google Sheet where I put my calendar up and my friends like, my friends just call me on my calendar because they see it. Or maybe it's like a form or maybe it's like, I have no idea. Um, what ensued was maybe to go into the story, like now that I'm, now that I'm in it, um, is I'm like, okay, I have this idea. I don't really know what the solution is. Who can I talk to, to understand what a solution is? Um, and so I remember speaking to this guy who, um, at the time lived just like a couple blocks away from me and like knew him as a neighbor who I knew worked in like high tech. I don't really know what that meant, you know? Um, I like even barely understood VCs. Again, I was the creative kid doing the philosophy program. Um, <laughs> and so I remember sitting down with him on a bench a couple blocks from here um, and literally said exactly what I told you now, that I was frustrated about all this. And he's like, sounds like an interesting idea. 
uh, send me your Figma. Um, and I'm like, what's a Figma? Um, <laughs> naturally, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I go home, Google Figma. I'm like, oh, so he means like, he wants, like, it's a thing that you can see. Even that was a revelation for me, you know? Um, like, that's the way that he understood it. And so I made a wireframe. Um, I didn't really know what that was at the time, right? Um, and it was terrible, firstly. It was terrible. But it made me kind of translate this frustration into, okay, what does that look like for people? Um, and that's kind of the moment when I saw Lighthouse as something that, like, you know, as one of the... Through the lens of what I believe most strongly about it then and now which is translating all that frustration and skipping all that anxiety um, with a single button, right? With a button that, you know, back then it said, my door is open, um, now says my light is off or my light is on, um, and kind of making yourself spontaneously available to friends. So was it entirely built off of Figma? Uh, or like, because you said you didn't have any experience coding. And so for anyone that doesn't know what Figma is, it's UI UX design. So like... How did you make it actually come come to life? Yeah. So that was still a couple months away. Um, I had this kind of very early wire, like very, very, very early wireframe, which I, you know, I, I then I basically went back to the guy. I'm like, here's the Figma. Um, and then I said a question, which I think you know, has, I started asking a question, which has kind of changed my career path from then to now, which is who are three people I can speak to? Why three? Um, easy exponential number. Um, I think okay. everyone knows, everyone can think of three people and three people turns into a lot of people really fast. That's interesting. So, yeah, so I met with three people and then at the end of every one of those conversations asked if I could speak to three people and spent the next two and a half, three months uh, biking basically to Tel Aviv, like in 100 degree heat, sweating through my shirt to meet with these uh, venture capitalists. I had no idea what that term meant. Um, and kind of assorted high-tech people, not to even pitch, not to sell a business. Um, at the time, I was completely naive. I had like no idea that they were thinking that if you investment lens. I was just like stumbling through asking people, who can I ask to understand what I'm building? Um, yeah. And kind of in each of those conversations, it transformed not quite into a pitch, but into a clearer and clearer picture of the way I was trying to solve this problem rather than just expressing the problem itself. Um, and in those conversations, like I think really, really valuable conversations, tons of like the things that I started considering core features came up through them until, you know, until like over the course of those couple of months, I felt like I had a very clear picture about, um, about like what, what the app would do, right? Like the actual functionalities. Um, and also how to like kind of consider and reflect on many of the key questions, which were valid criticisms uh, early on. And, and, and now, though, I think that through those conversations and two years of thinking about it since I have clear answers for. Um, I then, and this is the rest, this is the rest of the lighthouse, the rest of the lighthouse kind of journey begins from there, right? Like knowing what I wanted to build um, in the, the design thinking process, we can probably place that into the defined stage of the, of the, of the cycle. Um, what I'm referencing is the Stanford D schools um, kind of design thinking process, which you can look up these hexagons online of like the, the different <laughs> steps. And I see those hexagons like every day now. So I can't even think of them. Nightmares. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, anyways, point being like kind of those still very early days. So I then knew that I had this thing and I wanted it to be an app and I wanted it to be cross-platform so all my friends could have it. And that I wanted it to be really, really simple, right? Like 
I only needed, like, only one page of it needed to work, which is you press a button and it tells people you're free. Um, in that, you know, over those couple of months, I learned terms that, you know, like, I learned the fundamental terms. Figured out that MVP means minimal buy of product and not like somebody stuttering, right? Um, I, like, you know, um, I just kind of like gained some lingo and all this. And also at the same time, yeah. my teacher's experience was kind of giving me some understanding of like, okay, what this means is, you know, like, is, is managing finances and, and kind of figuring this out from, from a, from a business point of lens too. Yeah. You were learning a lot quickly. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I said, okay, I want an alpha because now I know what an alpha is. Um, how am I going to do an alpha? Well, I barely have any money. Um, so, uh, what am I going to do? And I realized that I had, um, uh, a friend from high school, like from growing up, um, who, like, I knew he had, like, a software internship over the summer, so, like, anyone who knew how to code. And, like, at the time, I had such little language about this that, like, that was enough for me, you know? Um, if you knew how to code, then you must know how to do, you know, cross, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, JavaScript, TypeScript, um, mobile apps. And so I reached out and be like, hey, can you build me these, like, three pages um, for Android, uh, for, for iPhone and Android? And he's like, yeah, of course, let me bring on two friends. Um, and I'm like, how do you think, how long do you think it'll take? And he'd be like, oh, easy, a week. And I'm like, okay, well, how, how much? And he's like, oh, well, you know, insert number. Um, yep. And then naturally, I, and like, that was a moment when I learned a really important rule, which is that everything takes three times as long and costs three times as much. So, so it's the night before my alpha is going to be done, right? This is not a business yet. This is just like me paying, paying a friend to, to code for, for a couple weeks, right? Um, and so it's like the night before I get a call. Hey, by the way, it's not going to be on Apple. Um, and I'm like, oh, what? what? Um, so I'm like, at this point, like, there's been so much stress over the past couple of weeks. Like, this has been my job, like, is, 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 I guess, project managing this, right? Um, and so it's fine, fine. I wake up the next morning. Um, finally, I have it on my phone. I have the APK, right? Um, so I open it for the first time. This, you know, this one button app, the UI is super, like, the UI as designed is literally just a gray screen with a single button in the middle. That's it. There's no, no, no flares here. Um, and I open the app and there is no button. Oh, the one thing. It's just a blank screen, <laughs> like, literally. Yeah. Um, and it's like, so uh, the one button app has no button. Um, so that was a waste, but a great, great learning experience. Um that I think like taught me a ton and also in the process of figuring out all these problems, both having gave me important experience and also just made me more and more excited about this idea, right? Like failing like that and that badly that early on, I think really, really motivated me to be like, okay, I'm sunk cost, right? Like I've done this much yeah. already. Like I'm going to see this through. Um, so I brought on um, uh, a friend from Stanford to uh, code our, like kind of code another alpha and code a beta in doing that. This is already over, um, summer of 2020. Um, I kind of like now have now, thanks to these couple months of experience, kind of have a much clearer picture about the pitch, about the business of the future, the vision, et cetera. Um, and ended up raising around, uh, a pre-seed round early uh, or mid August, 2020. Um, and that kind of like enabled us more like legitimately, to actually kind of take this to a real level. Um, so how'd you get involved with that? Because that's a big thing is pitching it uh, to investors. Like how did you find them and, and ultimately how you pitched it to them? Totally. Um, 
So this was probably just to kind of place us in a moment in time, June 2020. Okay. Um, I now have the bootstrapped resources to, you know, i.e. a friend to, to, to get some product out there, some MVP. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, learning from Tree Tutors too, this stuff can get really expensive really fast. Um, and if I am now really passionate about this idea, like, I need to do this right, right? Like, I can't just try and throw this out there with, like, literally zero dollars and, like, full send this. I mean, I, I want to full send this, but, like, I need I need legitimate, like, I, I need to have the resources to, to do it right. I want to do advertising. I want to improve the product. I want to get a logo, you know? I want to, like, have a good name. <laughs> um, not that I yeah. need the money for, for at least those last two things, but, like, in principle, right, um, there was kind of a level of legitimacy I realized that I wanted to achieve that without cash to do it, I realized I couldn't do, right? Because I'm like, okay, well, I can use those email lists I use for tree tutors and I can make an Instagram page, but, like, that's not going to get this into everybody everybody's hands. Do you know why, though? Like, that's the one thing I'm curious about is that, that switch that flips in your head where you're like, this is an idea to this is something that I like really care about now. And and that's and I'll get to the investors and I'll let you finish that up. Um, but I'm just curious on like why, like really why you decided to go all in on it, because that's that is a big commitment. Uh, and it shows when you actually invest to investors, because ultimately when you're selling, you have to believe yourself to make them believe. Totally. So I think there's two sides of it. One is personal and one has to do with with Lighthouse itself. The personal side, I was miserable in school here. Like, Zoom school sucked for me. It sucked for all of us, right? But, like, I realized it was not sustainable for me to be keeping that schedule through the next year. Um, and so, in many ways, like, it's it was the most natural decision to take time off to pursue this. And after spending months kind of working on building it, um, that didn't feel so much like a switch in my head rather than an opportunity, right? Like, just bluntly. Um, I, like, was very, very lucky to be able to afford to take time off right um and like and work on this while 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 making no money um so i'm like given that opportunity given that privilege um let's see if i can take it somewhere um and not necessarily and so like that's still on the personal side it's not even like what i believe the vision of the product can do um and then on the flip side of that on, on the product side of things um you know it was such a right moment for the problem to be solved. Um, you know, like I can look back now with 2020 hindsight of a couple of years and say, um, that might be true, but it just like that window was so short that by the time a product is feasibly done, that window had already ended. But there was this moment right in time for all of us where we were sort of figuring out Zoom, right? And like some of us had heard of Calendly, um, but we were not picking up the phone and just cold calling each other. Right. Um, yeah. We were not talking to friends nearly as much as we could have or should have. Um, and we were spending, at least I was spending, a lot of energy just to stay afloat socially um, in our in our in our weird and unique and frustrating landscape. Do you think that like it's interesting because for COVID, everyone there was a lot of people that viewed it as like a very bad thing. Which and like don't get me wrong, there was a lot of negative that came out of it. But there were a select few amount of people that decided to view it as an opportunity. You were definitely one of them. So I'm just curious, like, did you always have that mindset or do you think you were like forced into it because of your circumstances? Or was it something from the past that like from tree tutors or just who you are that kind of allowed you to take it full on? 
Yeah, um, I think it's, it's a good question. Look, I think that there were articles and conversations happening early COVID that already were framing the pandemic as a global opportunity for startups and businesses, right? That like, well, Facebook came after a recession, right? Um, and like, we have all these new tech needs, who's going to fill them? Um, you know, a couple of years on, we noticed that 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 was a perfectly valid question. I and mean, tons of different companies have worked to fill to fill their respective niches that have kind of been formed and stress tested by the pandemic. Um, and so, like, I I don't think I was as big a believer in that as everyone else was. I don't think I was looking at Lighthouse through exclusively through the lens of a pandemic, like a, a pandemic turned opportunity, if that makes sense. Um, I think I was like still first and foremost seeing the pandemic as a as a loss more than a gain, um, even through the lens of, of Lighthouse, a tool created for the pandemic. Um, and so, and so to, to kind of answer that part of the question, I don't think it was something that was like pure, let's look at the market and match the opportunity. On the other hand, I think that the need felt so salient that, that I take back what I just said, you know, that like, I was, I was like, it was such a unique feeling to experience the problem I was trying to solve every single day and feel it so like so vividly, um, you know, and then also like the deep, deep reward of once I had the alpha running to like be using it every day and, and actively feeling like my problem was being solved. Like that was such a motivator for me. And maybe that's really what, what flipped the switch. Wasn't even like, wasn't even the, the fundraising component or kind of the thought process before that, but it was like, as it was happening, Look, like once our beta was out, there was like a real window of time where every single day, like literally every single day, I was talking to somebody that I hadn't talked to in over three years through the app. Um, like I was suddenly like, my, it, it changed my life, right? Like I think it like it, it created, it created and, and, and reinvigorated friendships that I truly lost before then. And like, that was really profound for me because I was starting this just to recoup friendships that were lost moments before the pandemic, not years and years before, right? Like I was talking to friends from camp six years before. Um, and so like, that's kind of a cheat answer because that comes after the fundraising process and, and not like, wasn't a, wasn't a, a switch that, that flipped for me right before, but um, kind of maybe one moment that I, I reflect on when I think about like, okay, what, what really sprung me into motivation? Um, I think that the fundraising part of it, um, look, like the whole process happens so quickly that I think in many ways, like, I, I was like, I was just taking the ball and running with it, you know, um, like I was feeling momentum and I knew that like the next step would cost money and that like the next step then naturally was to raise money, which <clears throat> is something that I'm grateful to my investors for. And I'm also kind of great, like I had heard in many conversations in that window of time, which is that like, if you're building this exciting thing, you want to be focused on building this exciting thing and the fundraising should be a, a side note that just enables you to get there. Um, yeah. and, and it felt that way for me in a way that I'm incredibly grateful for and grateful to my investors for. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know if that fully answers the question. No, it does. Definitely. So do you remember like how many total pitches you have to get or that you actually ended up giving, uh, the amount of investors that you talked to and, and that whole, and like how much time it really took to do all of that? Yeah. Um, look, like, I think that the, the correct answer is there's only one, one pitch that mattered. Yep. Okay. So it was one investor that mainly funded what you have right now. Okay. The absolutely wonderful X fund worth, worth plugging them. Um, 
they uh, like work primarily with recent college grads at Stanford and Harvard. Um, and, and they're like, they're excellent. I, I couldn't be more thankful for them. Um, the process of that, just to kind of get into the fundraising story, was I said, look, I know that like that that the the resources I have to to get this around and get this in people's hands is is lives on a short fuse, right? Like I'm gonna send out those email chains and I'm gonna plug those group plug it in those group chats and then like that message will be sent and people will click on it or they won't and then time will pass. Um, and so I kind of need the resources to 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 build it out more 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 fully. So I made a list of different VCs that interested me. Um, and X Fund was at the top of that list for kind of for how engaged it seems with its with its its um, pre-seed and, and seed stage investments with their kind of college focus. And at the same time, um, one of those many Stanford email lists I mentioned earlier um, mentioned that like, hey, a partner at X Fund is coming to do like a Zoom webinar. That was I think back when like Zoom just like just launched its webinar feature and it was like a big deal. Um, and I'm like, okay, of course, like I'm gonna go. And I went on the Zoom. It was a webinar format, so they didn't even see the list of attendees, but I listened to him talk and, you know, seemed, seemed super interesting. And so I literally sent a cold email right after. Um, Hi, my name is Ben. <laughs> I'm a rising sophomore at Stanford. I just heard you speak. Uh, here's my deck. Do you have 15 minutes? Oh, wow. And he responded, like, within, like, two hours or something. And it's like, yep, here's my, like, you know, book time on my calendar. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then had the call, seemed to go well. I, I didn't even know how much I was asking for. I was just like, this is so early in this process, you know? Um, yeah. And so basically from that day, three weeks later, had a safe signed. Um, a safe being, a safe being kind of the, 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 uh, you know, the, the equity agreement, um, with the VC. Okay. So was it, you only did one pitch and you got the investing out of that, right? Basic, basically, yes. Okay. Look, like I was, I was kind of talking to other people, considering other options, um, made some connections here in those couple of months that I was ideating. Um, but yeah, again, only, only one that mattered. Yeah. You, you went after the one that you wanted the most. Right. Yeah. So I also saw that you're connected or like your lighthouse is backed by the founder of Lyft, right? So is, how did you get connected with, um, that guy or girl, whoever I honestly don't know. Um, and, and that, that whole story. Okay. So, um, so the, the story, the story with that is um, uh, roughly a year after that pre-seed round. It was May of twenty-one, um, which saying it like that makes it feel three seconds ago, but in the reality, the pandemic was a couple hundred million years ago. Um, I wanted to speak to this guy. Uh, like this is you know pretty thick into to Lighthouse's journey. Um, I want to speak to this guy that had some history in in the space that I was familiar with and kind of had, had worked on something about 15 years ago that was in the same space as Lighthouse. And there were a couple of questions I had, et cetera, et cetera. Reached out to my investors, to X-Funds, to um, get connected. And they said, we don't know this guy explicitly, but we know this this other guy. Um, uh, his name is Matt Van Horn. He's the co-founder of, of this company called Lyft. Um, and so I'm like, well, I'm going to talk to that. I'm like, I'm going to talk to them, you know? Like, yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, like, no, duh. And so I did. Um and he's like just such a wonderful guy. I had like, you know, I think back, maybe it's like not all too dissimilar from sitting with a legal pad of questions to my favorite author when I was 14, as it was to like sitting with a legal pad at the desk. I'm speaking into this microphone right now, um, like nervously waiting for the guy to ring um, to to ask my questions. Um, 
and so we're like calling him for an hour or something um and you know he, so kind of his his story being that he had a lot of experience in the space and and he worked on Zimride which then became Lyft um and then kind of worked at this this company called June I don't even give his full bio you can look him up um anyways point being kind of he had a lot of experience across a lot of different industries talking about an hour yeah. um and I honestly don't remember if there was like a hanging question or there was some reason that we were like that we could talk again soon um and so we did we called again like the next week or something um and by then i should have had like uh, like there should be some alarm bells ringing for me that like this guy's wants to talk to me for some reason and isn't just like super super kind with his time which he is but i mean like at the time i wasn't thinking like oh this guy's like a potential investor i wasn't even operating out of that i was like this is a really cool contact um and so two conversations after that um i'm at a wedding of a friend of mine's and I like he like calls and I like step into the parking lot and he's like I like ask him more questions um and then the end of he's like let me just like what are we like what are we doing like let me just invest um and so I'm like yeah um you know I think he's super valuable to have on board I you know he's he's an incredible guy and and that's the story of of bringing him along too that's yeah that's ridiculous like you don't often hear that kind of story especially with the way they went down um and to be at a wedding when you get that call too just kind of all ties it together so that's i mean it's quite the journey to get to that point so where you are right now um in the journey you have how many users total over twenty thousand, right so oh no the, the twenty thousand number from my linkedin maybe comes from like i think that one fun way to track it is like by number of connections that have been made okay yeah we're we're at, we're at about five thousand users um it's so impressive yeah so what are you doing to marketing like for marketing, like what's your plan for that? And what are you actually doing? Yeah. So look, this honestly, the, the story is really long and complicated and maybe has details that like don't necessarily need to be in here. Um, but we, first of all, kind of had a successful beta that was grounded in just totally grassroots marketing stuff. Um, like not a cent spent those email lists, those group chats and word of mouth from there, early, early press and kind of Stanford and Stanford affiliated news and it's so on and so forth. Um, we like focused early on very much on that organic marketing. We had like a button in the app that was like, you know, want your school on this platform, um, reach out and people did. Um, and that was kind of an early way that we, we looked to other schools to expand. Once we launched our full version last June, we did a short kind of average, like an, kind of an, an, a very early, early marketing campaign, um, largely testing the waters with this kind of thing. Um, and kind of found some really nice success there, had some failures, learned a ton of lessons. Um, and kind of that was over the course of last fall. Um, and then kind of slowed down that campaign, tried to maintain momentum and maintain the kind of the, the, the user base that we had built up through it. Um, and now in the phase of kind of returning to different ways that we can improve the product um, in, in full and meaningful ways. Um, and then also kind of practically for me, kind of charting, the, charting a clear path forward about um, its success, its vision over the next year, two years, five years, 10 years, um, while I still finish my degree. Okay. So um, two last things to wrap it up. So in terms of the monetization, like for a platform like this, I know that a lot of what you get in terms of your value from either investors or, and honestly, mainly investors, um, is like the amount of users that you have and like the active, the amount of active people on the app. That's really what matters because getting people is the hardest part. Uh, but then what do you do to then turn it into a business where you're actually making money? For sure. 
Um, I would actually, to be, I would counter and say that getting users isn't the hardest part. Keeping users can be the hardest part. Everyone wants the product that can retain users forever. And sometimes like the product, like there are moments in the product that, that are magical and do that for you. But getting to that point itself, like, you know, there's, there's a world of product work behind it. And so like, that's kind of always the, the game I feel like I'm playing isn't like, you know, our retention is part of the, you know, the most impressive part of the platform. At the same time, it's also, that means it's the part that you always fight for most. Um, with that, right, like, um, you know, every different, every platform of any kind um, have their own KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. Um, Lighthouse is unique and distinct from, let's say, social networks, which I think that Lighthouse tries to avoid like being largely conflated with because we want it to be a tool for people more than a platform. And with that, um, objective has never been to get people to spend as much time on it as possible um, in contrast to social networks, right? Um, in fact, the less time people spend on the app and the more conversations they cause out of it um, that take place off of it, um, the more successful I, I, I see it, it sees itself, we see it. Um, and so kind of like that's been a, it's first of all, like a design principle in how we approach it, right? Um, and then also kind of a business principle of like, okay, we want to take consideration and measure like, okay, we have this core functionality. How successful is it? How are people finding success in it? And where do we go from there? Um, and the answer is like, it's still an exciting question. I'm trying to figure out every day. Um, like that's the hustle, you know, the hustle is like, okay, both do I, how do, how do I get new users? And like, what's the game there? And then also like, how do those users have a meaningful time, right? Um, it's, it's like a classic, you know, it's a it's a classic network effect problem that that you know has been time and time again attempted and sometimes failed um sometimes succeeded and and that's the game for us right um you know it's like uh, for at least for lighthouse like kind of one of the key questions always is like what is the um like what is the 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 nuclear number um of friends that somebody needs to have for like lighthouse to be meaningfully useful for them um and so like that's you know a question that like we have you know, we, we had a, we did a formal, like actual formal, like research done on, on users and on the platform, um, like by like an external party. Um, and, you know, like, are still kind of trying to figure out um, part of what's unique about us as well, though this is an aside and maybe not too much time to dig into the product side of things, but um, people, if they so choose, can categorize their contacts into close friends, friends or family, sort of as an easy gesture based way to, to reach out to different rings of people. Um, and so one of the key questions that we're looking at is that like, okay, how do you strike that balance appropriately and, and what's more valuable for people, right? Like, do people use this kind of tool to talk to their best friend or talk to the, their grandma they haven't talked to in a while, call their mom or like, you know, be serendipitous and, and talk to somebody they haven't, they haven't seen in a while. Um, we used to actually have four rings. It used to be family, it used to be close friends, friends, old friends and acquaintances. Um, that was kind of like the initial prioritization of things. We realized pretty quickly about how valuable family can be and how like having that many options is kind of just an annoying user decision to make and can kind of cause like cause you to like pause and think about like who is this person in my life and so streaming streamlining those into kind of three options has always been fun because it's hopefully a quick decision to make like you know if somebody's family you know if somebody's family or not you know um and so like finding the right balance between those three um is a fun part of the game too hopefully that's the that's, approaching a complete answer to that question yeah no that's good i love it um so to kind of wrap it up i just want to dive into what the biggest thing you've taken away in terms of what you've learned throughout this whole process throughout true tutors your whole journey um if you had to take one lesson away from all of it to share with anyone what would that lesson be 
there's this great quote by Zhuangzi, um, the Eastern philosopher that actually studied like that freshman year program, um, who has a quote I think about all the time in, in this context, which is, um, a path is made by walking on it. That's really, I love that. That's really good. Um, and I think it's just, it's so true, you know, um, like, you know, what's the, the other quote like, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants and, and that's all, you know, that's all true. And there are so many, there are so many things to learn and, and follow in people's footsteps at the same time, like for ourselves and in our own journeys, a path is made by walking on it. And sometimes there's some attitude of just like, let's get it done and figure out ways that we can do it and like start from somewhere. Um, at the same time, like we're, we're, we're setting, we're setting course towards something. And so um, it's always worth being intentional and empathetic and, and consider about like kind of why we're building and what we're building towards. Um, maybe that's, that's one answer. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, really good. Yeah, I think it's, that's very helpful to, to me and to really anyone else that that's listening. So yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to, to talk today. It's been really insightful. Uh, so if you have, um, anything you want to say just to wrap it up about lighthouse and where people can find it. Uh, or even yourself, and I'll have all the links to these things that he talks about in the description. Uh, but if there's anything you want to say to to wrap it up, sure. I mean, um, feel free to download you know Lighthouse. Call your friends on the App Store. Um, you know, LighthouseTheApp.com. Um, thank you all for listening. I don't have much much else to plug, um, but yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm still a student trying to figure things out and trying to learn things all the time. So, would love to learn from you. Awesome. Yeah. And by the way, if you do end up using Lighthouse, uh, make sure you reach out to Ben to make sure like to to give feedback on on what works, what doesn't, because that's going to be like the most insightful and valuable knowledge to to him and to the whole team. So make sure you do that. Uh, it's a beautiful app, by the way. So definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, and yeah, it's been awesome having you, Ben. Awesome. Thank you, Kyle.